1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now that is a long chapter, so I'm not going to read the entire thing before we dive into the sermon. But before I begin, just yesterday, a Democratic senator and pastor, Raphael Warnock from Georgia, tweeted this. The meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you are Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. Now, as I read that, nothing could be further from the truth. The meaning of Easter is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our entire faith rests on a visible, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we cannot save ourselves through helping others. We cannot save ourselves through any good work. We can only be saved through the atoning death of Christ, and which was made powerful through the resurrection of Christ. But there is... Several people who would call themselves Christians that would deny the resurrection of Christ, as well as other historic Christian doctrines. A professor of early Christianity at Göttingen University in Germany, his name is Gerd Ludemann, he vehemently denies the bodily resurrection of Jesus. He says the following. We can no longer take the statements about the resurrection of Jesus literally. Jesus decayed and did not rise bodily. The resurrection appearances to his disciples are to be derived from visions, which can be explained in purely psychological terms. Ludeman sums up his opinion of the hoax of the resurrection in these words. So let us say quite specifically, the tomb of Jesus was not empty, but full, and his body did not disappear, but rotted Away, there is no such thing as the risen Christ. And there are people in churches today that believe that. And church, I want you to promise me something. If I ever say anything like that, come up here to this platform, carry me outside of the building and lock the door. Nobody should ever preach anything like this in this pulpit. Jesus has risen. I, I, I can't fathom why anybody would want to claim to be Christian and deny the resurrection of Jesus. I believe it's an attempt to save Christianity, but in fact it destroys Christianity. And so as we turn in 1 Corinthians 15, this is Paul's greatest and longest defense of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the first thing that we're going to see, number one, is that the resurrection is of first importance. Now, I won't dwell here. This is actually the the, the text of my very first sermon here at Deep Creek. I, I preached on these first few verses of this chapter. The resurrection is of first importance because it is a key component of the gospel. There are other passages that that may seem like the resurrection is insignificant. So much of the New Testament emphasizes the death of Christ because the death of Christ is what atones for our sin. Blood had to be shed, a sacrifice had to be made. And Paul comes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2 and says, 
For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified doesn't mention the resurrection. So it would seem in chapter 2 that, that Paul wants to emphasize the crucifixion. But we see, clearly see in 1 Corinthians 15 that Paul proves that the resurrection is vitally important. In fact, he says it's of first importance. He begins, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you. Well, what is the gospel? The gospel which you received and which you also stand by which you are saved If you hold fast to the word, I preach to you unless you believe in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The resurrection is a key component of the gospel, and we cannot leave it out. We cannot merely tell people that Jesus died for their sins, but he rose to give them new life. First, we see that the gospel also in in this passage, we see that the gospel must be received. There is nothing that you can contribute to your salvation. You simply must receive what Christ has done for you. It's a gift and all that you do is receive it. The gospel is our foundation for life. Yes, the gospel saves us, but it is our foundation. I've said it before that that the gospel is not the diving board into the greater things of the Christian life, but the gospel is the swimming pool that we stay in. It is the foundation for everything. As it says here, I preach to you what you received in which you also stand. We stand in the gospel And everything else in our Christian life is made meaningful by this message. The gospel is our means for salvation, it says, continuing in the text, by which also you are saved. And notice here there's evidence of genuine conversion. You are saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. How do you know that you've been saved by the gospel? Evidence of genuine conversion is not a prayer that you prayed when you were six or a card that you filled out or an aisle that you walked. I fear that there are many who have walked the aisle and the aisle of many churches across America who are no longer walking with Jesus. Evidence of genuine salvation is here. Are you holding fast to the word which was preached to you? Are you clinging to the gospel with a firm grasp? Evidence of salvation is that we continue to hold fast to Christ by faith. The resurrection is of first importance. The second thing I'd like us to see here in this text is that the resurrection was visible by multiple witnesses. Continuing on, it says he appeared to Cephas. Cephas also is Peter. Peter. Now, Peter is one who denied Jesus Three times comes to the comes to the time of, of, of Jesus' trial. Jesus is on trial. They see Peter and, and they recognize him and say, aren't you? Aren't you one of his followers? I don't know who he is. I, I, not me. They go to him again. And a, a girl finds him and says, aren't you? Aren't you? One? No, no, it's not me. And he denies him three times. And Jesus said he would do that before the rooster crows. Peter would deny Jesus three times. And sure enough, that's what happened. Peter 
deny Jesus, but yet, not only did he deny Christ, later on he became one of the most powerful preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he appeared to the twelve. And we see that in the Gospels. He appeared to the disciples. And then verse 6. And then he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. It means they, some have died. But notice it says, as Paul writes this, most of those 500 people are still living. So if there are people that doubt the resurrection, you have a host of people that you could go to in this time as this, God, this letter is being written and question them. They are still alive and they are witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. Verse 7, and then he appeared to James. James, the brother of Jesus. And John 7, 5 tells us that the brothers of Jesus did not believe in him, but then... Jesus' brother James goes on to become one of, the, one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. You can read about that in Acts chapter 15. And also he wrote a book of the Bible, the book of James. So how is it that a man who once did not believe his own brother, maybe thought he was crazy, now is one of the elders in the Jerusalem church and also writes a book of the Bible promoting Salvation through his brother. Because he had seen the risen Christ. He didn't believe at first, and then he saw his brother rise from the dead, and he believed. And last of all, it says here, verse 8, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. And we see that account on the road to Damascus where Paul is blinded. And he sees Jesus. Paul was on his way to persecute Christians. Paul is on his way to drag men, women, and children out of their homes and kill them for believing in Christ. And he's blinded, and then he receives his sight and is saved by the risen Christ. What would turn a persecutor of the church to this faithful preacher of the word of God in in whom we get a third of the New Testament? He saw the risen Christ. The resurrection was seen by multiple witnesses. Now, for those who would doubt the resurrection of Jesus, as Thomas did, I've got to see it to believe it. I, I, I don't know. Let me give some other, offer some other pieces of evidence. First, Jesus died. While some debate this, is it a fact that Jesus died, not that he just passed out? Because if he did just pass out, he would not have been able to awake and have the strength to move a stone out of the way. And even if he could, it was guarded by Roman soldiers. No, Jesus, in fact, died. This is proven in Scripture. When when they go over to Jesus, they had broken the two robbers' legs because they were not dead yet. And they went to go break the legs of Jesus, but he was already dead. And what they did was they stuck a spear in his side in order to prove that he was already dead, in which he was. Jesus actually died. He didn't just pass out, wake up, and pull the, roll the stone out of the way and walk out. That could not have happened. Second thing, the stone was moved. One of the false theories promoted by the Romans was that the Romans fell asleep and the disciples took the body. Now this is debunked because the Roman soldiers wouldn't all be taking a nap at the same time. 
The story, as we read in Matthew 28, the beginning was that they just fell asleep. Well, they would have all lost their jobs and been killed if they had done that. They were heavily trained soldiers and this wouldn't have happened. If the Romans took the body and the disciples began to promote the theory of the resurrection, then the Romans would just need to produce the body and shut this new religion called Christianity down. That didn't happen either. Another piece of evidence is that women were the first to the tomb. If you were fabricating a story in the first century to start a new religion, you wouldn't put women as your first witnesses because in that culture, the testimony of women was not credible. You would not have done that unless that's what actually happened, which it was. Also, the disciples in the Gospels are painted as missing Jesus's point multiple times. They simply, when Jesus announced his death and resurrection, they simply did not get it. They were painted as being very foolish and not very bright. Now, if you were, again, fabricating a story so you could start a new religion, you wouldn't talk about yourself that way. But they did because they were being honest. (laughs) We We didn't know. Six, Peter went from being a cowardly denier of Christ to a courageous defender of Christ. He preached the great sermon at Pentecost after he was the one who denied Jesus three times. Paul went from being a persecutor to preacher. James, the brother of Jesus, who first thought he was crazy, became a leader in the Jerusalem church. More than a third of the New Testament is written by people who were changed because of the risen Christ. Another piece of evidence is that the day of worship was changed from Saturday to Sunday. We do not worship on the Sabbath. We do not worship on Saturday. The reason we come to church on Sunday is that each week we commemorate the resurrection of Christ. After Jesus rose from the dead, they began to worship on the Lord's day, the day that he had risen. So while it is nice to celebrate Easter and come and focus on the resurrection, the reality is every single Sunday is a focus on the resurrection. Every single Sunday we commemorate that Jesus did indeed rise. It's seen by multiple people. Number three, the resurrection of Christ is fundamental to the Christian faith. While there may be liberal preachers and pastors that try to undermine this. The truth is that Christianity, your faith and my faith, hangs on the resurrection. If, if, if somehow, this would never happen, but hypothetically speaking, if somehow they were to discover Jesus' body, let's all just go home. It would be pointless. Our faith hangs on this historical fact that Jesus did rise. Look in your scriptures as we continue on. After he says he appeared to these people, there's this. Paul begins to know that there are people who do not believe that the dead are raised. And he says, but by the grace of God, I am what is what I am. And, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether it was I or they, so we preach and you believe. 
Verse 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? There was a group called the Sadducees who did not believe in a bodily resurrection of, of Jesus, of the saints, of anybody. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Notice what it says here. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. I want those words to sink in from the Apostle Paul. If the dead are not raised, then Christ is not raised. Number one, if Christ is not raised, then preaching is pointless. It says here, preaching is in vain. Back in 2005, the Lord called me to preach. I love every time I get to open up God's word. I've preached in several churches in Georgia, Kentucky, and Indiana. I love to preach, but here Paul says, if Jesus is not risen, then our preaching is in vain. If the resurrection is a hoax, then we have nothing to preach. If there is no bodily resurrection, then we can trust absolutely nothing else in the Bible. The preachers you hear and see on TV who don't believe in the resurrection, who don't believe it's important, are just glorified motivational speakers. They sound good and it may give you a little boost, but those so-called preachers are not preaching anything of eternal value. If Jesus is not raised, then I should just close my Bible, hand in my key, and we should just lock the doors. There would be no point to continue on. But I'm not going to do that because I'm going to keep my Bible open and keep on preaching because Jesus has risen. If Christ is not raised, your faith is futile. As Paul continues, if Jesus has not been risen, then your faith is in vain. Our faith is in the death and resurrection of Christ. That is the gospel that we believe. But if Christ has not been raised, then why do we continue to place our faith there? If the resurrection is not true, then our faith is in vain. It says here, if Christ is not raised, number three, we're false witnesses. We're called to be to testify of the gospel of Christ. We're called to tell people that Jesus Christ died for their sins and he rose again. And if we say that, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then we are liars. And praise be to God, Jesus has risen. Number four is the text here. If Christ is not raised, it says here, we are still in our sins. If Christ is not raised, then Jesus is just another dead religious leader. Just another dead religious leader. Then his death did nothing for us. If Jesus is just another religious leader who's still in the grave, he did not atone for our sins. If he's just another dead religious leader, then he cannot offer redemption. If he is just another dead religious leader, then you and I cannot be forgiven. We are still in our sins. But Christ has risen. 
And because of that, the death of Christ is made meaningful and we can be redeemed. We can have our sins atoned for. We can be forgiven at the cross. It says here, if Christ is not raised, then we are hopeless. It says here, if, if, if Christ is not raised, then, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. One of the glorious things I get to tell my children is their, their grandfather passed this past year is that he's in heaven. Yes, his body is in the grave, but he's in heaven. And one day we'll, we will rise bodily. But if, if Christ is not raised, then we have no hope of that. We are hopeless. Those who have fallen asleep, our loved ones who lie in the grave, have perished. If Christ is not raised, then we are a people to be pitied. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, what a waste. If Jesus has not risen, why should we continue this Christian enterprise? Why should we continue following Jesus if he lie in the grave? Paul makes the argument in verse 32 as we we will look at that even further. But he says here. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If the dead are not raised, then let's just live however we want to live. Do whatever you want to do. But Jesus has risen. I want you to see that our entire faith hangs on the bodily resurrection of Jesus. We don't need to rescue Christianity from a historical resurrection. We need to hang our hat here. Jesus has risen. He doesn't just he didn't just rise and he lives. He doesn't just live in our hearts in some kind of metaphorical sense of. He continues on in our memories. He literally bodily rose again. He literally walked out of that tomb. The resurrection guarantees our future resurrection. Number four. Turn with me down to verses 20 to 23. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, Adam, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and after that those who are Christ's at his coming. The resurrection guarantees our future resurrection. Jesus served as a first fruit or the, the guarantee that one day we too will rise. One day we too will be made alive when Christ comes again. Continues on there. That then the end will come. When Jesus, when God puts everything in in subjection to Christ. And then Paul kind of picks up his thought. 
And again in verse 32... says, look, why am, I, why am I enduring the things that I'm enduring? What does it profit me if Christ has not been raised? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If there's no hope in this life of a future resurrection, then why do we continue following Christ if he has not been raised? Then he says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Then he says, become sober-minded as you ought. Stop sinning. The resurrection calls us to holiness. If we do not affirm a resurrection, then let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. But if we do believe that Jesus has died and rose again, it says here, become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Apparently, there were some within the Corinthian church that were living like those who have no knowledge of God. Yet for those of us who know there is a God and know that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, and that Jesus rose again, the Bible calls us to live differently. The resurrection calls us to holiness. Paul continues his train of thought. On the resurrection of Christ and the bodily resurrection. Verse 35. But someone will say, how were the dead raised and with what kind of body do they come? I feel like this is kind of a question my kids would ask me. My kids ask me all kinds of questions that I have a master's degree in seminary. My kids ask me all kinds of questions that even I struggle to answer. Thankfully, Paul answers this for us. How are the dead raised and with what kind of body do they come? You fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, putting into the ground, you do not sow the body which is to be but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished into each of the seeds, a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men and another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, another fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another of the moon, another of the stars. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. There is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That refers to Christ. There will be a bodily resurrection. As we, this church is surrounded by graves. And recently, this past week, we've laid a lady to rest out there. Think of when you lay somebody in the ground. and Somebody dies. They've either been ravaged by old age. They've been ravaged by sickness. They've been, their bodies have been destroyed by tragedy. A body that is sown in weakness at its weakest state. But yet the Bible tells us that 
what will be raised is something entirely different. And I believe Jesus' resurrection kind of gives us a picture of that. When Jesus was raised, it says he, he was glowing like lightning and his robe was white. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what that looked like. At some level, they did not recognize Jesus. He looked different. Not necessarily sure what our resurrected, glorified bodies will look like. I'm kind of hoping I look some, something like Vin Diesel and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. But I think it's going to be infinitely better than that. Now, 1 Corinthians 50 through 57 and also 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 kind of tell us how this will play out. I'm going to read both of those passages for us. as We get near the end. Now I say this, brethren, this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 50. Now I say this, brethren, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. Paul often refers to death as sleep. But we will all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when the perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when Christ comes, the dead in Christ will rise again. Now, in 1 Thessalonians, I turn there right quick. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep and those who have died, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we shall always be with the Lord. Now, I don't normally put this picture in my mind a lot, but there will be a legitimate bodily resurrection of believers. Those who have died in Christ, who are buried outside these walls, will come out of those graves. Now, they won't look like zombies. They will have glorified, resurrected bodies that will be beautiful. That is something that we can place our hope in because Jesus' resurrection gives us that hope. Continuing that line of thought, the resurrection, number seven, the resurrection is the victory through Christ over the sting of death. 
says here, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's acknowledge for a moment that death stings. It hasn't even been a year since my wife lost her father and my kids lost their grandpa. I know that we've had other losses in this congregation. There is nothing one can say to take away the sting of death. Telling someone that your loved one is in a better place, even though that may be true, does not take away the sting of death. Jesus himself knew the sting of death. And in John 11, as he as he knew that Lazarus was ill, Mary and Martha had come and said, our brother is ill. They came because they knew Jesus could heal him. Well, you would think Jesus would immediately get up and go and heal him, but he delays a couple of days, ultimately, to allow time for Lazarus to die. Because he wants to, he's going to go and raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows that. Jesus knows that's his purpose. He knows that's what he's doing. And as he goes, he asks Mary and Martha, where have they laid him? Where have they laid him? And as he goes to, to see the tomb that Lazarus is in, it says he was heavy hearted. Do you know what Jesus did? It's the shortest verse in the entire Bible. Jesus wept. He wept. He knew that in just a few minutes he was going to raise him from the dead. But Jesus, in his humanity, he is weeping because death stings. text continues, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection gives us victory over death. So while death stings here and now and we grieve and we weep, it's the resurrection of Christ. It's Easter that gives us hope in the midst of those tears. Weep now, but as scripture says, joy comes with the morning. And lastly, and we'll be through, the resurrection of Christ calls us not just to look to the future, but to live for Christ now. The last verse. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. Live for him now. Remain steadfast. Keep doing his work. Keep preaching the gospel because he has risen. Let's pray.